John chapter 17, verses 9 and 10, and 15 and 19. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but, they, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. The word of the Lord. Thy will, thy will be done. Can you sing it with us? Say, thy will, thy will be done. Everyone say, thy will, thy will be done. As it is in heaven, thy will, thy will. Let it be on earth, say, thy As this song echoes in your hearts, um, open your Bibles, stay standing with me just for a moment, but open your Bibles to uh, uh, John 17 and that focus verses 6 to 19. We had a reading from that this morning, and I just want you to have it at home, have your Bibles open here, have your Bibles in your laps, um, on your phones with your Bibles. Because, listen, church, John 17 that Corey began preaching last week, John 17 is without a doubt one of the most profound chapters in the entire Bible. Here is Jesus' longest prayer by far, and it's where he expresses his vision for the beloved community, his vision for his church, for Grace City in the global, worldwide, historical church. And in chapters 13 to 17, if, if those chapters we've been preaching, Corey, are, are the temple uh, of Jesus' farewell discourse, John 17 is the Holy of Holies. And we ought to metaphorically take off our shoes in his presence. Uh, because here is where, church, we are permitted to eavesdrop as Jesus communes with the Father on our behalf. That is glory. That is glory. So let's pray together uh, and uh, have that chapter open to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our worship this morning that has drawn us into your presence. We thank you for the hands that set up this um, museum. We thank you for the museum and all that it has brought to us to have a place to meet. We thank you for the folks watching at home, and we love them. And we extend our hand of love and praise and grace into those homes right now as they sit on their couches. May they, may they understand and feel the presence of the Lord, even as we feel it here at the BMI. And thank you for every soul 
that has graced this room right now. I look around and it's so good to come back to church and see people face to face. What a, what a joy that is, Lord. Well, we thank you now for this, this great chapter that, that so many huge thousand-page books have been written just about this single chapter. Father, we, we acknowledge that we'll only, we'll just, we'll just swim in the shallows this morning of this chapter. But we pray that the words that Jesus prays for us will lift us up in ways that will surprise us as we leave this place today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Everybody say, amen. You may be seated at home. You're probably not standing, and you certainly may be seated here. I don't know anybody that stands up at home while they're watching online, but there it is. Thank you, worship team. They always prepare such a great set, don't they, of, uh, of worship for us. Our applause in here sounds a little like, you know, the last place finisher of the Masters. You kind of go like this, you know, we'll, we'll, get, we'll try to get better at that as we go. In the first five verses that Corey preached so brilliantly last week of John 17, Jesus prays for himself. But in the rest of John 17, that we be, we're going to have two weeks on that starting this week. In the rest of John 17, Jesus prays for his followers, meaning he prays for the disciples in the upper room, but he's also praying for you and for me. Look at verse 9 with me. You can see it at home. When I say look at, they're seeing it at home. But here it is. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world. I am praying for them, for those you have given me. For they, you, Grace City, they are yours. Now remember, the cross is just hours away. And for us, Easter, Good Friday, East Palm Sunday, Good Friday, Easter is approaching so fast, coming up right now. And it's going to be glorious, by the way. Do not miss anything to do with Easter here at Grace City. Anyway, that's beside the point. But here in this prayer, with the cross hours away, Jesus is authorizing his followers for a cosmic shift. Things are going to shift from, from Jesus as he goes back to the throne of heaven, and he's passing something on to you and me that I, uh, uh, that I want us to drill down to, especially in verse 18. Um, there are pastors who preach John 17 for an entire year. There are sermon series of 50 on this entire chapter. We're doing three. So, so we are swimming in the shallows. But I want to drill down into verse 18 this morning. So take a look, but, but have your, keep your Bibles open because I'll be referring around. Here's what he says. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And he's talking about you. He's talking about us. He's talking about the 11 disciples. So this morning I am working from the title, The Way of Being Sent. The Way of Being Sent. What exactly is Jesus praying about and for us here? And it's urgent for the church, Marjorie, to press into this question because the contemporary church, and you all know this better than I do, or at least quite as well as I do, the contemporary church is often unsure of itself and often falls quite short of its calling. So we need to continually rediscover and reapply Christ's vision for his church. Who are we to be? What does he want his church to be like? What does he send us to do? And we have the answers here. We have a lot of the ingredients here. And I want to look particularly at two ingredients of what it means to be sent by Jesus. What it means. And let, let's look first at the provision in being sent. Somebody say provision. Provision. The provision of being sent. Now, church, it's not complicated to see that Jesus was sent into the world. We understand that in the context of the incarnation. He left the glory of heaven. Uh, sent by the Father to come to this sin-sick world. We get it. He was sent from one place to another. But how is it that he can send you and me into the world when we're already a part of it? How does that work, Brendan? 
that just kind of makes our heads spin. Keep open verses 15 to 19 particularly, and you're going to find the clues here. In verses 15 and 16, watch this, he prays, listen, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. And then in 16, and I'll come back to the rest of that verse, but then in 16 he says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now Jesus, throughout, or Grace City, throughout our 2,000 year plus history, the church has hesitated between two inappropriate extremes. Tim, I know you've written about this. And the first is the extreme of withdrawal from the world. And the second is the polar opposite, the extreme of conformity to the world. Are you with me? Both extremes, Grace City, the extreme of escape and the extreme of conformity, both are equally forbidden to the follower of Christ. You know this, right? Stay with me. Our calling is not to remove oneself from the world, but to live in it while not conforming to its values and standards. This gets a little head spinning. Look at verse 15 again. He says this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep or protect, is another translation here, keep or protect them from the evil one. This implies that the world lies in the grasp of Satan, the evil one, the enemy. But listen, Jesus is not looking for an escape route for the disciples or for you and me. It's not about escaping that, but rather for our preservation in an adverse environment. Are you with me? For our preservation, our protection in an adverse environment. Our protection, John, is his priority and it is sealed. It's about to be sealed the next, very next day in this, after this prayer in the cross. Our protection is sealed in the cross. Then he goes on, and, and I'm going I'm to add some real theology here to you to add to Corey's deep theology last week, but here it is. He goes on to pray to God to sanctify us. This is the active ingredient of his protection in verses 17 and 19. And 17 and 19 bookend our focus text on being sent. Stay with me. First in verse 17, he prays for us this way. Sanctify them. Sanctify grace. Take this personally. Sanctify them. In the truth, your word is truth. And then in verse 19, he emphasizes the close correspondence of the mission of Jesus and the mission of his disciples that start the very next week, this weekend. The, the mission of Grace City, this is it. He says this, for I sanctify myself, he says, that they too, you and me, may be truly sanctified. Now, we go back to these verses, the truth found in his word, that's worth a whole sermon of its own, but it refers to the, to the whole mission and message which Jesus taught on earth. It began with, blessed are the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. This is his message. We can do whole sermons on all of that, and we've actually done that at Grace City. That's the truth he wants us sanctified in, his message. But let's park here for a minute, Corey, to define the term that Jesus prays would describe himself and us. This word sanctification. All too often, church, we think of this word sanctification as kind of a religious decontamination process. It's kind of like the holy shower we must take after being exposed to the toxins of the world. But scripture doesn't teach that. Sanctification is actually a fairly simple word, and it is used here, and it, as it is used here, it means to be set apart for a specific purpose, to be put to an intended use. When I selected my shoes this morning, I sanctified them. And I thought about this when I put them on because these are probably in my closet my favorite shoes. They're just kind of cool. They're gray, which is cool. They got blue laces, which I put on to match the blue. I mean, I actually sanctified these shoes for a purpose today, to match the outfit. 
and allowed me to preach with my dancing shoes on. And we have a, Corey and I have a little, little competition sometimes. Who's bringing the most swag in their shoes? I beat them today, I just want to say. So it means to be sent apart. When you selected the seat that you're sitting in, you sanctified it because, Brendan, you put it to its intended use. Hopefully it holds you up. We're never sure of these kinds of chairs. And when Jesus calls, when Jesus calls these men and then calls the men and women of Grace City and the global church throughout history, when he calls you and me to continue his work, he sets us apart for the use for which we are intended. Somebody say glory. That's good news. It's not, it's not to be on our own, but to be his instruments. Thy will be done. Walk in his ways. Now, that's a lot of theology, and I want to I kind of lift us up here a minute. The, the, the defining provision that Jesus prays for in these verses so far is that when we come to Jesus Christ Church, we cease to be of the world and instead belong to him to be sent by him wherever he wills. Thy will be done. We live in it, but we're no longer of it. Let me say it again, because that, those prepositions mean everything here. We live in it, but we're no longer of it. Can you get it? Are you with me? Nod your heads. Okay. We have basically, we, we have our responsibilities in it, but it's not our home anymore. We've changed passports, Corey. Our, our first and primary citizenship, our first and primary citizenship now lies where? In heaven. Our citizenship lies in heaven. I'm not making this up. This is all throughout the New Testament. And while we're here, while we're here on this earth, while we're here going to work tomorrow, while we're here parenting, while we're here growing up, we're temporary pilgrims on assignment. On assignment. You're set apart, Grace City. You're protected. And Jesus says, so go. I send you as my people. Father, I pray... As you sent me, Father, he says, I send them in the same way. Go as my people. Go as my ambassadors. Go as my family. And in that other picture that began this series, Corey preached it several weeks ago in John 13 at the Last Supper. He says, go as my body, as my hands, my feet, my mouth. Minister to the world. In my name, I have sent you. Just point to yourself for a minute. Do me that favor. And just say, Jesus is sending me. Whisper it to yourself. Now, if you grasp this, Grace City, in your mind, then you might see how misplaced our frame of reference can be when we say something like, we are sending this missionary out to Nicaragua or Ukraine or Ethiopia. We're sending them out into the world. And I get it. But a lot of church thinking about missionary work seems to begin at BWI or Reagan National. But if you'll look back at this text, you'll see that it has nothing to do with geography, right? It's, we're, we're, we're basically location agnostic here, Kristen. Nothing to do with geography. Everybody who comes to Christ is set apart by Christ. Everybody is set apart by Christ and then sent back by him to wherever they are. Where are you? You're sent. Now, this is really thrilling. This is really thrilling. Let me give you a parallel scenario. Church, if you and I were on the ground this morning in the Ukraine, serving in the Ukraine or, or feeding refugees on its borders, I suspect that one thing that would reassure us 
and make us feel better in the freezing air amidst the shelling would be the fact that we had been sent there. Being sent would mean everything. Perhaps we were sent on behalf of our country, perhaps by a news network. And by the way, those folks who are reporting the news just seem heroic to me. Perhaps we'd been sent by a resource engine like the Red Cross or World Central Kitchens. And we were sent by someone to feed and repair and serve and labor for the life and freedom of the Ukrainians. And I guess, I, I would guess that that sense of being sent with a mission to love in every way possible would strengthen our resolve every day we woke up in the midst of so much trouble, despite all the problems we would face. And I know if you've been to Nicaragua with us, and even for 10 days and existed and served in that heat, you've been strengthened every morning by the fact that you were sent by Grace City, by Orphan Network. You've, you've been strengthened if you, if you are walking the streets um, of, of West Baltimore with Corey and me and Scott and others from this church. If you're walking the streets, it strengthens us to know we're sent by We Are Us and Grace City. It, if, if, if you're working in the arena of child trafficking with, a, with a, the ministry that was birthed out of Grace City and is now its own 501c3, it, it helps you if you're going to exist in that, in that space. It helps to know you've been sent by the Araminta Freedom Initiative and they have your back. Well, here it is. Jesus, listen to me. Jesus didn't just sit down one day in heaven and say, hey, Dad, I'm going to go down to earth and have a visit, see what's going on. That's not the way it happened. The Bible says here, and he says it, that he was sent on purpose for a purpose. By the Father. He was sent by the Father. And all throughout the gospel accounts, we have this irresistible sense that he is on a mission for which he has been sent. And now says this text, in the very same way, Jesus sends you and me to the world. And here, John, is where I get excited. I hope you get excited with me because Grace City, being sent, has tremendous advantages. But it all depends on who's doing the sending. Tremendous advantages. Here's some good news for you this morning. You and I belong to Jesus Christ. Somebody say glory. We are his. We are his task force. We are his peace corps, if you will. We can take those titles. We are under his protection. And he has commissioned us and he sends us to bring his kingdom to men and women who are, are right now under the sovereignty of the evil one. And he says, go as far as possible. You go, plant the flag of Jesus Christ, plant the cross of Jesus Christ to release them from the bondage of the evil one. That is how I was sent, and that's how I send you. And just as, just as the, the Ukraine mission, James, is a costly one and a dangerous one and a sacrificial one, so too... On a grander and longer historical scale, so too is the mission of Jesus Christ. And we must be clear, church, and profoundly grateful that this is a mission on which Jesus Christ himself sends us. We might as well put a, a nameplate on, on, on your door of your office or your house or on the desk where you sit and do your Zoom session. Put a nameplate there tomorrow that says, by appointment of the King of Kings. That belongs to you. You're appointed to wherever you are. And that ought to strengthen our resolve this morning because it matters who sends us, Grace City. It's a very good thing to be sent by the King of Kings. And if you believe that, you ought to inform your face. You ought to inform your entire being of this truth whenever you set out tomorrow 
wherever you're going to do whatever it is you do. Tomorrow, tonight, this afternoon, wear that. Put on those clothes. I've been sent by the king. Church, whether we serve Christ in a Ukrainian kitchen or a Polish hospital or a Managua garbage dump or the streets of West Baltimore or the classrooms of Sharp Kids or cleaning up the sanctuary this morning to give this room back to the BMI, Grace City, wherever and whatever we are doing in the world, we're doing it under the commissioning of the King of Kings, and you are his peacemaker. If you're a police officer, you're his peacemaker. If you're an executive, you're part of his servant leadership team. If you're a teacher, you are Christ's person in the classroom. If you're a, an engineer, perhaps in a firm without other followers of Christ, you are his person in that office. Are you a musician? Or a sanitation worker? Or a nurse? Or an architect? Or a mom and a dad? Are you retired? Or are you just plain tired? You don't get to say you're retired until you're my age because you've already been tired. Now you can get retired. You're, all of you are tired. Retired waits. But wherever you are, do you get it? You belong to his task force. And how, however many combinations of such things you do, all of them, you've been sent by him. Still sent. It's thrilling to me that somebody recently who came to her first service at Grace City, Corey, came up to me a couple services later and said, I want to serve. And she gets it. Because it's so thrilling when we go beyond wanting to receive and then we hold tight to this existential reality that we are set apart and sent by Jesus to do his will wherever we are. And it may be, it may be, listen, I get it, particularly for you, Jen, whatever's, Xers. It may be that you're restless in your current place. And you may be thinking, I ought to go to the Ukraine. I ought to go to Managua. I, I got to go to Cleveland, whatever. And you should always listen to that because that's very possibly the prodding of the Spirit. But in the meantime, in the meantime, Christ is saying to you and to me, I've put you where you are to be my ambassador for such a time as this. If it's just today, then be it today. If you're gone tomorrow, we'll, we'll, we'll be your biggest fans, but, but serve me here today. Stop obsessing. Would you please stop obsessing with, if only I were, supply the place. If, only there, if I was only there, I could serve the Lord. That's not the way this works. Wherever we are, church, we're on the way of being sent by Jesus Christ himself. Okay, if, this, if, this, if we embrace this provision, then we can project down the road because we have prospects. Laura, we have prospects because we're sent by Jesus Christ. You know this word? We have prospects. Let's project a little. The prospects of being sent. Look at verse 10 with me. Jesus describes us to his father. This is Jesus praying to the father. He says to his father, all I have is yours. All you have is mine. And then watch this. This, is, this can be very Confusing, but it's critical. All I have is yours. All you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. The disciples and you. What does Jesus mean? Now, to the world, glory is easy to understand. It's about me. It's about winning. It's about first place. It's about medals. It's about me. We write poems. 
enough about me. What do you think of me? It goes on, and that's what glory is to the world. But glory, as Corey introduced it last week, glory is a strange thing in heaven's economy. It's very different. Let me show it to you. Grace City, our help to understand his glory comes from a crucial link between Jesus' prayer for himself last week about glory and his prayer uh, for, for us today. Look at verse 4 again on your screens. Look, look at verse 4 that Corey preached last week. And Corey, if you, some of you will remember, he used that illustration of himself in school fighting for his, for his dad, and his dad said, that's not your job. Your job is to do what you are sent here to do. Watch this. Verse 4. I glorify you on earth, Jesus says, by finishing the work you gave me to do. And of course he's talking about the cross, which is just hours away. That's how he glorifies church. But church, this is not the prayer of someone who, who is excited about betrayal and suffering and torture and death. This is someone who understood that ascribing glory to God was accomplished by being who he, was, who he was sent here to be and finishing what he was sent here to do. That would bring glory to God. So when Jesus speaks of glory that comes to him through us in verse 10, he is speaking of that same heavenly formula. Look at it, verse 10. He says, as you have sent me to accomplish heaven's work, so I've sent them. That's, that's, our, that's our central text. But in verse 10, he says, glory's come to me through them. So being, listen to me, being who we're made to be, doing what we're sent to do, declaring thy will be done, and finishing our assignment, that's how we glorify God. That's how we glorify Jesus. This is a huge idea. It's a huge idea, if we can just get our arms around it. And it may sound like a burden that can crush us. Some of you are sitting there, and I see you shrinking into your seats. The shoulders are getting like, I, I can't do this. But it's not a burden, church. It is exactly the opposite of a burden. And I want to tell you how. I want to add one dimension to Corey's definition of glory last week. And he defined it correctly. It's honor and respect. Honor and respect. But there's another dimension here too. Watch this. There's several. There's a lot of connotations to glory. When I was growing up, and now let's see who would, I don't think there's anybody here my age. But you, some of you may remember, we would speak of a profound idea, Corey, as being heavy. Anybody remember that? You remember that? You know, you say, all, all I'm saying is, all I'm saying, Kathy, is give peace a chance, quoting the Beatles. And someone would say, oh, that's heavy. That's heavy. All I'm saying is that, that I just had a great trip on this, on this asset. Oh, that's heavy. That's, I mean, heavy just applied to anything that seemed but we would speak of these profound ideas as being heavy. And what we meant was that the idea had substance, that it wasn't frivolous. It was big. It was worth considering. Now, church, the word glory in both its Hebrew and its Greek forms carries really interesting connotations. And one of them is the connotation of weight, of weight. Somebody say weight. The Apostle Paul uses glory in this way. Look at it on the screen at home, but, but listen to me. He, he says it this way. For, this is in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. He says this, for this light momentary affliction. Now, he's talking about living in this world and the troubles that come with it. And he calls it this light momentary affliction. Where have you been, Paul, right? But this is a guy writing from jail, so he gets something that we don't. 
For this light momentary affliction is preparing us, watch this, for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Heavenly glory, church, is not heavy, not as a burden, but as a liberating weight. Not as a burden, but as a liberating weight. Do you remember? See, uh, uh, I don't think they have many more because probably they're too dangerous, which is something to think about. But do you remember seesaws in, when you went to, on, into recess at your elementary school? Do they still do these? Yeah. Uh, but anyways, if you got on a seesaw by yourself, you're stuck. It's just you and your weight, you and your burdens. It's just stuck. And you need a counterweight to lift you up. This is the weight of glory. You see, without it, we're stuck. Life is just burdensome. Life is just trouble. And Jesus has acknowledged that. In this world, you're going to have trouble. Glory is the weight that lifts you Church, being and doing who you're meant to be and do in Christ is not a burden. It's a heavenly weight, liberating weight. It's, it's the weight that gives you substance in the world. It's, it's the weight that lifts you up in the world. It's attractive. It's compelling. It's, it's the weight that, that people look and say, I want to be around that. I don't know what's going on in Rashima's life, but there's something that has lifted her up, and I, I would like to get uh, inside of that. What what what? What does that look like? How do I get anything to do with that? There's incredible power for living when you transfer the burdens of life for the weight of glory. And so we understand the spiritual song that comes to us with its origins in 18th century slavery in the late 1700s when they sang, glory, glory, hallelujah, when I what? Laid my burdens down. Glory, glory. Do you get it? There's a difference between a weight, a heavenly weight, and a burden. A slave, a slave knew well the burden of slavery, but they came to know so often in God's economy that even the burden of slavery would be overcome by the weight of glory. Glory. Hallelujah. Since I laid my burdens down, glory comes from being and doing who he made you to be. Glory comes from being and doing who he made you to be. You know what? It's hard work. To act like someone else. This is why we give Academy Awards and Oscars out to people who act. Because it's hard work. Being who you're meant to be. Doing what you're meant to do. That's the easy side of glory. And let me show it to you in the scripture. Who you're created to be. On mission. Sent by the King of Kings. That's the weight of heaven. Under which we're lifted up. And I, I, I swear to you. It's easier. Than acting like someone else. Than staying stuck. This is the formula the very formula by which Jesus can say this, it's in Matthew 11. Just listen to me. You'll know this passage, but you can see it on your screens at home. Matthew 11, he says this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened. Who can sign up for that? Anybody? Raise your hand if you get weary and heavy burdened. Raise your hand. Okay. Come to me, he says, and I will give you rest. Then what does he say? Take my weight my yoke upon you and learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. Take my weight. A yoke is heavy, but it's his. 
It's the weight of heaven. It's liberating. And then he says this, for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Take my weight on you. And it's why just a few chapters later, as we go into Easter, he tells his disciples how to follow him. You're wondering how to do this? He says, here it is, whoever wants to be my disciple, pick up my, must deny themselves. Because it's not about your glory or my glory. And pick up their weight. What is it? Pick up the cross. It's weighty. The cross is heavy. But it's the liberating weight of heaven. And then he says, follow me. Hey, Troy, would you come up here and help me for me? Come up, come up and give me an E minor, if you would. And just keep giving it to me until I respond to it. A movie called Glory came out in 1989. Some of you will remember it. If you don't, put it on your list to watch. But it was the story of the 54th Massachusetts Regiment during the Civil War. It starred Morgan Freeman and Denzel Washington, a very young Denzel Washington, Matthew Broderick, many others. But it was the story, church, of men who had been slaves and had escaped. And then with much resistance, were finally able to be registered in the Union Army. One night before a great battle when most of them would die, this group of ex-slaves who were now soldiers in the United States Army, they gathered around the campfire, and they began to sing. Oh, my Lord, 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 Lord. Sing that with me. Oh, my Lord, 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 Lord. Sing it. Keep singing until you get it. Oh, my Lord, Lord, Lord. I want to sing it a little bit louder, a little bit louder. Oh, my Lord, 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 Lord. Then they went like this. Mm -hmm. Do that. Mm -hmm. Just keep doing that. Keep doing that. Mm -hmm. They began to sing this, church. Keep doing it. Mm -hmm. You have to do it without me. Keep doing it. Mm -hmm. Worship team, come on up and help. Mm -hmm. As they were singing this around the campfire, this was the night before the great battle where... Many, they knew they were probably going to die, and many, most of them did die the next day. And as they sang this, one testified, another prayed. One stood up and said this, Lord, if tomorrow is my great getting up morning, let them know that I went down standing up. And then they'd sing, Oh, my Lord, 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 Lord. Sing it. Oh, my Lord. Be at the campfire. Be at the campfire. Oh, my Lord, 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 Lord. Another one got up and said, It doesn't much matter what happens tomorrow because we're men, ain't we? And they'd sing again. Oh, my Lord, 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 Lord. The next day, the next day, most of them died. And you might wonder, you might wonder, church, why would you call such a movie glory? But you get it after today's text, don't you? Don't you get it? It makes sense inside the beloved community of John 17 in Jesus' prayer for you and me. As he says, just as you sent me, so I send them. Glory. These men were finally able to be who God created them to be.
That's what it is. That's the glory. Because God didn't make anyone to be a slave. God didn't make anyone to be crushed. That includes you and me. He doesn't have us living in this world to be crushed. He has us to be lifted up by the weight of glory. He made us to be his and to do his will. And there lies glory, church. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. One life to live on this side of heaven. Do you dare live it for the glory of God? Do you dare live it? Sing it. Oh, my Lord, 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 Lord. Clap your hands. Oh, my Lord, 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 Lord. Oh, my Lord. A little bit louder. Lord, Lord. Sounds good. Oh, my Lord, 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 Lord. Ready? I just want to pray for us here as we end this, this message. Jesus, you took up the burden for us when you carried the cross that very next day after this prayer. You took up the burden when you carried that cross. Teach us to exchange the burdens of life for the weight of glory, Jesus. And then lead us in the life you would have us live. This we pray and ask in your name and for your sake. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. Let's keep doing that. Mm-hmm.